Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. You don't think Mr. 10%, the big guy, President Biden takes our national security seriously? You don't think that? Is that what you're saying? No, I know he does now. You have questions about his commitment to America's national security in the wake of the she left balloon incident and so forth? His silence until yesterday? Well, he has top men on it. Top men. And just as critically, we acted out of an abundance of caution and an opportunity that allowed us to take down these, these objects safely. Our military and the Canadian military are seeking to recover the debris so we can learn more about these three objects. Our intelligence community is still assessing all three incidences. They're reporting to me daily and will continue their urgent efforts to do so, and I will communicate that to the Congress. We don't yet know exactly what these three objects were, but nothing, nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from other, any other country. The intelligence community's current assessment is that these three objects were most likely balloons tied to private companies, recreation or research institutions studying weather or conducting other scientific research. So I That's right. Yeah, who's missing a balloon? That's right. <laughs> Come forward. Hey, not only did he send a message to President Xi last week, uh-huh. President Biden sent a message to the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. <laughs> Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six type in D A then a quick comment. I watched that and thinking now I have more questions. What university or what private companies are flying weather balloons? That you heard me right. The Northern what? Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade has been what? defenestrated. They no longer the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade no longer poses a threat to our national security, thanks to this president. The Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade told Aviation Aviation Week it fears one of its diligently tracked gas bags recently went missing. I love the gas bag. The Pico Balloon, a silver-coated cylindrically shaped object, reported its last position at about 38,000 feet off the west coast of Alaska on Friday. By Saturday, based on the balloon's projected path, it would have been over the central part of the Yukon Territory. Around the same time, a military Lockheed Martin F-22 shot down an unidentified object of a similar description and altitude in the same Canadian vicinity. Oh, I thought you were Take kidding. that, Northern Illinois Bottle Cap oh. Balloon Brigade, part of the axis of evil. I didn't know there was such a thing, Dan. I'm so glad I listened to the show. 
they front as a group of enthusiasts dedicated to creating, releasing, and tracking homemade balloons. That's yeah. their front. Yeah, but secretly they're, they're spies. They're insurrectionists. Oh, that's right. That too. So, uh, you know, look, I, I know what you're saying. Does is that the best use of a four hundred thousand dollar missile to shoot down a twelve dollar balloon? belonging to the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. And I say to you, you're damn right it is. I honestly thought you were kidding. You're right. I thought they were, they, they were in the um, Saga Talk Parade, right? <laughs> they do parades, this Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. Now we need to follow up with Ooh. sanctions against the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. Of course. It before they sense. weaponize more balloons and threaten... Our national security. John in Portage Park, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, good morning. Uh, I just want to say this. When I was a kid, this is probably like 1974, 75. We used to make balloons from the American Science Center on Northwest Highway. Uh, they were about five feet tall, and we could get them up to like 5,000 feet. We could get them up higher, but we would run out of string to yeah. tie them down. John, so, uh, John why, why do you hate America? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think they they might be. Who are you working for, John? <laughs> Very good. Thank, Thank you. Thanks for the call, John. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, I mean, uh, of course, it links back to Illinois. Probably, yeah. as you said, some insurrectionists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Northern Illinois bottle tap bottle cap balloon brigade. I'm googling them right now. I want to see the crew. I be- I believe I I'll yes. have to double check. I believe they're on the State Department watch list. <laughs> now they are. Uh, Karen and Beecher. Oh, good morning, and I'm commenting with great hopes that I get to call back later with perhaps some uh, crack pottery. But okay. anyway, I just wanted to comment that. If and when I am ever three sheets to the wind, I slur and mumble less than he did yesterday. Mumble, mumble, what? He's reading from a prepared script, and he mumbles and stumbles his way and slurs his way through everything. Such an embarrassment. Thanks for the call, Karen. He's got a clean bill of health. He's a vigorous 80-year-old, according to his doctor. Well, this group of Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade, they look lovely. They've got yeah, young kids in the group. That's what they want you to think. Lord, and they build and launch Pico balloons. Didn't you ever see the show The Americans? Oh, it's right. It's a lovely suburban, young suburban couple. They're Russian agents. They're colluding with the Russians and the Chinese, probably the Iranians and the North Koreans, too. Somebody had to stop the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade, and this president did it. It's the NIBBB.org group if you want to see them. <laughs> Mary Kay, Western Springs. All right. Tell Karen she can't double dip. You can talk about scary. Well, she said she was going to call that. Fear. Scary and fear. You know, like, okay, let's just keep instilling more fear. Or, I mean, this is a joke. Um, there's enough to be afraid of with this guy. Um, let alone the dollars. How much did this cost to send these missiles to shoot these things down? What price do you million. put on your safety from the Northern Illinois <laughs> Bottle Cap the Balloon Brigade? A $450,000 <laughs> missile to take wait, down wait, a $12 balloon. Wait, wait, on the 4th balloon. of July. 
do you, you you know those funny things that people light up and um, let float into the air? I send them. I do my Fourth of July celebration in Oak usually, and we light those cute little the parachute little things and yeah, fly right. them over to Elmhurst. Yeah, they're nice and low, but they start mm-hmm. fires. You know, if you um, if you let them go too long. Yeah, um, well, uh, you better be careful next time. There may be an F twenty two waiting for your lantern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, we yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the call. Dan Name, Chicago's Morning Answer. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Yesterday, a bit of, perhaps a bit of a below-the-fold endorsement, but it matters uh, when you have a race as close as the mayor's race for that second spot in particular and uh you have so many black candidates seven because um indigo which is a black owned media outlet yeah. you know has uh and hermine hartman who's the publisher has a long standing in the black community everybody knows who she is and so when uh, she came out with uh, her endorsement for Lori lightfoot yesterday saying that she was the only black candidate who could win that she's concerned about the black candidates splitting the black vote and not having a black mayor after April 4th election. Uh, Willie Wilson, who was uh, in Rogers Park, talking to the Chamber of Commerce folks there, uh, took umbrage and uh, said, you know, that um, Lori Lightfoot essentially is the only candidate who uh, can't win from the black candidates. Lightfoot uh, yesterday responding to both the endorsement and the criticism of said endorsement. Well, I am the only candidate that can, that can win. That's a fact. So the, the fact that a, a media outlet has recognized that um, and put it in writing um, is something, frankly, that people are saying all over the city. I was there at the, at the event, or the event, the press conference, and she said he's playing the race card, Dan. That's Willie Wilson she, is. That Willie yeah. Wilson is playing the race card. Mm-hmm. Um, but to the substance of her comment, though, the people all over the city are saying that she's the only one who can win. Mm. More beautiful lies. I I don't think so. Um, I've got a recent survey from. Um, this was done by a pack that's run by Rama maniacs like Michael Sachs. 
who are supporting Lightfoot, by the way. Why? What? Uh, the uh, their survey. Remember, this has come from a pack that's supporting Lightfoot. Has the race thirty-one Vallis, seventeen Johnson, sixteen Lightfoot, twelve Chewy, eleven Willie. Uh, you know, and there's some movement around here. You know, this this is jumbled up. Uh, I we we talked about this earlier in the week with Charles Thomas. Charles was saying the same thing. I, I'd expect Paul Vallis to maybe be in the mid to high twenties uh, for the first spot in the runoff. And then you've got three, maybe four candidates jockeying for position for the second spot. But if, and I don't want to get too deep into polling because snapshot in time, a lot can still happen in 11 days, particularly when you're talking about four candidates within the margin of error of one another. But in terms of just her comment, Lightfoot is the only black candidate who can win. Well, it's tough to make that out based on the numbers. Let me give you an example. Brandon Johnson, his fave unfave is 30 31. 30 favorable, 31 unfavorable. He still needs to work on getting higher hard name ID, but that means he's got upside because uh, his hard name ID is only at 68% um, compared to, you know, Ballas at 87 and, of course, Lightfoot at virtually 100. So he's got upside. Lightfoot, on the other hand, uh, as has been the case since the beginning, her fave unfave, twenty nine percent fave, sixty eight percent unfave. Oof. So I, I just, I mean, I, I guess you could say if all twenty nine percent of the people who came out, uh, who think uh, have a favorable impression of Laurie Lightfoot, came out to vote, then she'd have a chance. But what those numbers tell you, how how badly upside down she is, is that sixteen seventeen percent. She has a very low ceiling. So uh, you look at the candidates here. Chewy's run a very poor campaign. Good. He and Brandon Johnson has pulled away some of the public sector union support. I'm not talking about Chicago teachers, but also SEIU that Chewy would have otherwise enjoyed. I still expect a better performance from him than these numbers. But well, he's a field it's, candidate. But it's possible. He's run before. He, he, so, so so has Paul Vallis run before and lost. So what? I know, but Paul's a better candidate this time around. You know he's, he's on not. message. Well, I think that he is. He's, he's, Compared to he, last time? He doesn't have, he has money because Daly and Joyce aren't in the race. So he's the one honky and he's got money because the other two honkies that were in the race last time aren't. Well, that's, I love this honky. That's the dominant. That, that's, that's actually why Vallis is where he is. But, but you can, you know. To continue to keep up your shrine to Vallis. That's all well and good. Well, I'm going to. And and I can vote. And I'm going to vote. And I'm going congratulations. to take my children to vote. And then you're going to have to worry about what the general election looks like, which is what I've been saying for a long time, because if it is Brandon Johnson, and again, this is a, this is a toss-up at this point, then um, even though you look at head-to-heads right now and Vallis is up a couple of points, uh, that is going to that dynamic is going to completely change because the last 30 days will be a completely different campaign if Brandon Johnson runs it right, say he's the one. And remember my axiom about Illinois and Chicago politics. Whatever the worst possible outcome is, whatever the, the potentially worst possible outcome is, that's what's going to happen. And the worst possible outcome, which maybe we should be rooting for, for the city of Chicago, it has become 
more clear with each passing day would be Brandon Johnson as mayor. Oh. So that's probably that that may very well be what happens. Brandon Johnson for mayor. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six da turnkey dot pro. He's going line. to raise our taxes. He's going to tax our taxes. He's going to make the. He'll rich be pay the, the worst. Share. He will be the worst mayor ever. And Mayor Lightfoot even said that yesterday, that he would be. He is the worst choice. And I, I'd have well, to agree well, because uh, well, of taxes. Well, of course she, of course she did because she's well, trying to claw above him. I mean, yeah, of course she did. Was she saying, was she decrying Brandon Johnson uh, when he was a CTU flack or on the Cook County board? No, she's decrying him now because she's got to climb over him to get into the runoff. And I know. So whatever. I mean, I don't care what she says. Point is, Brandon Johnson um, speaks the vernacular of the Chicago left, which mm-hmm. is dominant. He presents well. Uh, he represents you know, sort of a generational shift down. I mean, I think he's, what, how old is he, 50? slightly down um but he has you know more of a young vibe and i'm telling you uh if if he gets out then uh i don't i don't i mean valis i'll just say valis is the underdog i I don't know i mean which is why i've my my perpetual lament in this race the idea that he can walk through this race trying not to offend anybody massaging his positions, being dragged into taking positions on things like abortion and assault weapons, that, that that's the play. Well, maybe that is not getting him after... to that is not getting him to the fifth floor. Okay, what if he is a different candidate again and more, you know, assertive, the, the candidate that you want him to be after February 28th? Well, he's in the, runoff. the problem is he's a different candidate with each passing day. I mean, in a, in a sense, he's not a different candidate in terms of um, providing any sort of vision. Um, he's a technocrat, and that's how he speaks. He doesn't have a value proposition. He has a four-point plan. Um, so, but but I'm talking about like wh- where where his focus is. And by the way, I say again, and these numbers bear it out, as did previous polling numbers. If um, Vallis wants Lightfoot in the runoff, and he does, because that's the only candidate I think he can beat, then why isn't he helping Lightfoot across the finish line? That's malpractice. Campaign malpractice. Uh, Very inside baseball, yes. But I will tell you that if Brandon Johnson wins, I and I'm not saying this, I will be doing this, I will be moving out of Chicago. I can move well, to any collar suburb and get a little condo, but I'm not going to deal with. I, I, there's no way. And I, you, you know, well, you, you you're gonna. It's going to be a you know, crowded expressways at the outbound. You better. You might want to reserve your U-Haul now. Okay. Ron, South Side. Danny, name. Okay, this is more to Amy. Amy. Paul Vallis may be running a different campaign. He still just. A political hack, period. I don't care what kind of campaign he runs, but I will agree with you. If Brandon Johnson, I don't know who's the worst between Brandon Johnson and Chewy, but if Brandon Johnson wins, look, and I had not planned on moving. I own my home. I retired, but I'm, 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 I'm. I don't even see how how anybody could vote for. For for this guy, all he talks oh, about is Texas. 
members. Hey, Dan. Yeah. And I mentioned it earlier this week when he was saying, well, uh, the seniors should be able to ride C, uh, free on CTA and people with disabilities. Who's going to do that? You're going to get killed on CTA. This guy does not have one idea. But I agree with you with that, and about Brandon Johnson. But, but Paul Vallis, I agree with Dan. Same warm over nothing new. Have a good weekend, you all. Thanks for the call, Ron. Um, Brandon Johnson has big ideas for your money. He's got all sorts of ideas. Right. Uh, I mean, every every other word out of his mouth is investment, and that's a you know, translation is your tax dollars, well, your income being taken and uh, used to fund programs that exist, used to uh, create new programs, uh, maybe expand that universal basic income pilot program, certainly pour more money into CPS because you can't have too much money there. Where is that money going? What changes have there been? I mean, I'm in there. I'm in it, and I see nothing changing. Marty Naperville. Good morning, Dan. I will bet you lunch at Crabby Bills on Indian Rocks Beach next time you're down there, and I'm down there. Lori Lightfoot is going to win. Not, I've, unfortunately, but your last caller was just a perfect example. Paul Bayless is a hag. No, oh, no, no, no reasoning why. Lori Lightfoot has the perfect Democratic stance down. Everything is everybody else's fault. She takes responsibility for nothing, and people thrive on that. Because they sit there and say, well, it's not her fault you can't no, ride this. she shot herself in the foot. Thanks She's for over. Call, I mean, yesterday was such a great example because uh, Marion Ahern asked her, hey, that tweet that you put out after the Bears were talking about moving to Arlington Heights, remember when she said, I think the Bears should just concentrate on beating the Packers? Right. Deleted. Marion Ahern found that out. I'm not aware that it was deleted. No, you are? Um, but no, I don't. I don't regret that. I think, look. You know, I was being a little tongue-in-cheek, yeah. as every Bears fan is, as we're sitting here, you know, a couple days removed from the Super Bowl. Yeah, she's just being tongue-in-cheek, Dan. She's just mis- misunderstood. No, she's a wonderful entertainer. Yeah. Uh, there's no question about that. Um, but in terms of what Marty was saying, you know, those numbers, Marty, they're tough. They're tough to overcome. 28-68. Uh, favorability. Uh, that that's just that is so far upside down. I can't think off the top of my head of somebody who was that unpopular uh, in a uh, high profile executive office who won re-election. Um, I'm sure there's an example, but I mean they're very far and few, few and far between. And she just doesn't, you know. There's there's not the the time or the bandwidth to reinvent herself. People have hardened opinions of her. They've watched her her antics for four years. So she can't just don, you know, pull a ROM, don a cardigan sweater and say it's going to be a, a different uh, triple threat in the second term. I don't think that's going to fly. I mean, the ROM's numbers going into his second term when he was in trouble uh, were not nearly as bad as Lightfoot's numbers. So, yeah, I, I actually don't think she can win. But Brandon Johnson can. Oh, don't Chewy say can. Oh, come on. I'm going to get sick. Um, it, Willie, if he was able to... Uh, expand his footprint if he had some better people around him than just Hollywood Hendon, um, he could win. But um, with the kind of campaign that, I mean, if you look at it just based on the the landscape and the relative campaigns that are being run, I would say Brandon Johnson. Oh, God. I would say Brandon Johnson. I thought Chewy for a while 
Um, I thought he would be the favorite. I just thought that uh, uh, the combination of the Latino vote and some still public sector union support and some sort of soft recognition of the name and probably not much definition to it because there's not much definition to Chewy, generally speaking. He's a cardboard cutout politician. Um, I, I, and, and it still could be. I mean, you know, don't take this recent survey as gospel. That's a fait accompli. It's not it's none of the above. But I, I thought Chewy would perform a little bit better and have a little bit more bandwidth um, to get different slices of different electorates to put him in a strong position in the one or two slots. That, 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 that hasn't really happened. So but, but in terms of quality of the campaign, messaging with a purpose, uh, the best campaign from that perspective has been Brandon Johnson's and maybe it's starting to show that if, if Chewy, you know, if, if Lightfoot and both Chewy and Lightfoot are just bobbers in the water uh, and Chewy's sinking a little bit, then somebody's got to fill that lane. And right now it looks like Brandon Johnson is doing it. Uh, Roger Southside, you're on Chicago's morning answer. Hi, hi Dan. Uh, good morning. The, uh, you know, okay. Yeah. I agree with you a thousand percent on Vallis. Okay, but here's the thing. There is nothing good to say. There, I mean, there's nothing good here. What, what are you going to talk about? How the Madigans and the Burks have have put the state into a financial ruin. Uh, there, there are no nice black neighborhoods. Okay, there are no good Hispanic neighborhoods. Eighty uh, percent of the white or mixed areas are, are, are gone. Uh, anywhere you look, it's bad. I don't even know why he'd want the job. Okay, is he a hack? Was he a complete yes man for Daly? Yes, he was. But he's, I mean, I don't think you could put all those people's brains together. At least he could hit the ground running. Yeah. That's it. Thanks for but, the call, Roger. Well, I'm, t- I'm talking about the campaign messaging. I mean, whether or not you believe it. I'm talking about the market position to occupy. You know, this is a marketing exercise, running campaign. And so... Um, at least I could hit the ground running is not a great campaign message to me. And I'm, I agree with you. I mean, it's, there's, not, there's not a lot to point to in terms of things going well. Well, that's what provides the opportunity for somebody like Vallis. He otherwise wouldn't have it. Lori Light would be cruising to reelection if there were good things to talk about that were credible, that were believable. So she has to invent them, and people aren't buying it, particularly from her. I, I say this again without getting you know, too deep uh, into this. Paul Vallis's market position is wrong for this okay, what does exercise. He, need to do? what does he, need to do? he he needs to he, he essentially needs to be a man of this uh, from the system, but not of the system. He needs I mean, you want to pull people in. Then you have to talk about all the the people in all those neighborhoods, black, white and Latino. And when Roger says, you know, they're not good, he just means they're not safe. And I, I get it. They're not thriving. Right. And say, look, I am going to stand against the political class that has done these things to your neighborhood. It's been Democrats in the city of Chicago, let's be honest, including the old machine guys, uh, including the people that just want to focus on people's identity rather than their opportunities. And I'm going to be the guy that knows how things work, that has specific plans, but most importantly, my attitude is on your side of the skirmish line 
against the men and women of always who've raided the town to your detriment. And he just doesn't, he doesn't, he just never speaks to a constituency. If you want to have a constituency other than based on identity, then you actually have to make an appeal. You have to red rover, red rover people over. So what is it you're going to do for me, Paul? Don't make me read a white paper. Tell me like your attitude, why you're doing this, for whom you're doing this. And then you can tell me all about how you're going to do it. I have to believe that you are with me. And that's not an exercise in technocracy. It's an exercise in, well, political marketing and leadership. And there's just never been anything like that. I'm, a, I'm against crime, and I know I, I negotiated a cops contract, and, and I got a four-point plan to, to infuse accountability in CPS and so on and so well, forth. Well, he could work with a teacher's union. There was not one strike when he was in charge. Yawn. Well, the, yawn, the, yawn this. I had to go through five of them. Don't miss- Yawn. I, I say again, uh, that is not political marketing. Political marketing is is pounding his fist on the lectern and saying what is going on in CPS with respect to the exploitation of children, with respect to the fraud committed on taxpayers, including Chicago taxpayers, apparently per this IG's report, that use something like that as your jumping off point to offer some passion, some color, some commitment to the underlying principle of what is not going to take place on on his watch, as opposed to telling me you've got four points and two commissions that you're going to bring to CPS to infuse accountability. It is so clinical. It is so sterile. It is a loser. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. New York Times reporting on the East Palestine train wreck and subsequent controlled release of toxic chemicals and the government's response, and the commentary from right-wingers like me. New York Times, after a train carrying toxic material derailed in Ohio this month, right-wing commentators have been particularly critical of the response, using the crisis to sow distrust about government agencies and suggest that the damage could be irreparable. Oh, boy. Oh, I don't know, a 3,500-plus fish dying? 
in small streams nearby. I don't know. Is that what uh, we're doing? Sowing distrust about government? We're just uh, seizing on this opportunity like vultures to unfairly, because that's the implication, sow distrust about government. Uh, from what you've seen and heard from state and federal officials, what's not to trust? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line, which is always open, 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. I mean, are, are, are you uh, skeptical of what you're hearing from governors DeWine of Ohio and Shapiro of Pennsylvania from our esteemed transportation secretary, Peabot? Peabody hasn't even been on the scene. He needs to go to the scene. I well, think. he's been Well, he's too focused. afraid to go there. He's focused on white construction workers. Well, nobody wants to get sick. So uh, that's why they're not going there, because they know. The um, EPA, we heard from the EPA administrator yesterday, uh, Michael Regan. Yeah. He was on the ground in Ohio and had this to say. Today. An emergency response effort like this requires a whole-of-government approach. All levels of government working hand-in-hand to keep residents safe. I'm proud to say that's exactly what's happening here in East Palestine. I want the community to know that we hear you, we see you, and that we will get to the bottom of this. I'm a father, first and foremost, a husband and the son of parents over the age of 70. All families need to know that they are safe. All families deserve access to clean air and safe drinking water. Okay, then move you and your family and your elderly parents into East Palestine while the cleanup continues, because they would never do that. So you just heard from the EPA administrator. I mean, how could you not trust those empathetic words? He's a husband. He has parents, okay? father. See, you, you, uh, you, you, you crazy right-wingers, you know, you just look at these government officials as faceless bureaucrats. He's a real person. He has real feelings. Well, and, he's, uh, yeah. and he's also very concerned about your feelings. He wants to make sure that you know that you're seen and heard and that, like you, he's a human with human relatives. That's what's important right now. Right? Wait, could he be any more off base with that? I see you. I hear you. That's Wait, your EPA the... administrator. Uh huh. Um, just you know, I mean, again, I just want to address this New York Times criticism that uh, the seeds of distrust in government are being sown unfairly by you know shows like ours. Really? Well, um, hmm. Well, I... Dewine and Shapiro, the two governors. Yeah, that are relevant because East Palestine is right on the Ohio-Pennsylvania border. Um, they both supported the controlled release. The, that and were they like, presented with any with any other choice though? Well, East East Palestine Mayor um, Trent Conaway, you heard him at the town hall. We talked about their town hall um, yesterday. That was a couple of days ago. He said basically it was either we blow it up or it blows up. That was the choice. There wasn't really any choice, and that's what he took away from whoever he was talking to in terms of the decision that was ultimately made. But this was this was supported by both governors, Republican and Democrat. 
it uh, was characterized as having gone off perfectly after it was done. And now there's a different characterization. Lieutenant Governor, I mean, uh, um, Governor of Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro, sent a letter to Department of Transportation saying something very different. Tucker Carlson had it last night. Claiming that Norfolk Southern was, quote, unwilling to explore or articulate alternative courses of action to their proposed vent and burn. It was very obvious, he says, that there was probably a, quote, safer overall approach for first responders, residents, and the environment. Oh, now there was a safer approach. Well, what was it? And I'm sorry, did you raise those questions at the time? No, you were cheerleading for what was done. Now, I'm not saying we we got calls yesterday, including from somebody in this hazardous materials, waste cleanup uh, uh, profession sector said that 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 was the only option and and maybe that was the the best option of from bad options i don't know but i do know when a politician is cheerleading on tv for one thing and then a couple of days later writing a letter to cover his ass saying exactly the opposite thing that there are some questions that should be asked is that sowing distrust in government or is that appropriate skepticism about politicians like josh shapiro and mike dewine because he was cheerleading it too And DeWine was on MSNBC yesterday offering sort of his the same middling commentary you got from DeWine the other day when he had a press conference on the topic and was asked if, you know, he if he lived there, would he return home? And he said, I drink the I drink bottled water, but I'm pretty sure I'd kind of go home. I mean, it was one of those. You know, you want to get the air tested. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was an answer, Dan. Well, here's here's his answer again on a similar topic, similar question. So if it were your family governor, you'd be OK sending everybody back home? Yeah, look, I mean, we, we indicated that uh, we're, we're going to continue to test the air. We're going to continue to test the water. Uh, but what that is indicating is that it is is very, very safe. Oh, what a, that's a non-answer answer. Come on. Who said who talks like that? A politician. <laughs> we indicated that you indi- what, what would you return home? We indicated that. Yeah, he's trying plausible deniability. It's very, mm. very, very uh, circumspect. I don't like it. Well, it's just it's just it's just politicians because uh, we, we no. Would you, you go home? Well, we indicated that, and then then said blah 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 blah. Then quickly move on to all the things that you would do, and that are being done. And then, oh by the way, everything's fine. Would well, you bathe your child in that water? Well, everything's not fine, and there's more and more videos, including JD Vance was out at a creek in East Palestine, uh, Palestine, and um, uh, you know you see when you press down on the the bed of the creek that the the chemicals come up, and there's all those these videos. And I'm not saying that's infecting. The, uh, the 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 the, the potable water, yeah, the the, wa- the drinking water, or, but but clearly, and 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 I, yeah, the air testing. I don't I don't know. I'm I'm willing to go wherever the, uh, the 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 test results tell us to go, but 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 you're getting fork tongued responses from politicians, and you're getting you know, uh, psychobabble from your EPA administrator and, you know, excuse me, pardon me, New York Times, if that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence in the the whole of government response you're reporting upon. This one resident said it best. This is the hypocrisy that is going on. I mean, when you watch people that are investigating 
they all have these giant hazmat suits on, um, but somehow it's safe for people to go back to these homes. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I, I mean, guess. that's that's, that's a common that's a commonsensical observation and question to ask, right? Yeah. And the guy with the face mask is like. And and by the way, I mean, and this is not like rallying to the defense of Norfolk Southern either. The idea that Norfolk Southern didn't send representatives to that town hall in East Palestine the other night because they were afraid for their safety. Um, uh, not a good look. <laughs> not a good look, uh, inappropriate, uh, insulting, and an abrogation of your duty if you want to cast yourself as a good corporate citizen. So not saying that at all. And I also want to get to, take a couple calls here, but I also want to get to the derailment itself. Yeah. And what exactly happened there and what we understand about uh, railways in this country as well. But uh, let's go to Ed in Glen Allen. You're on Chicago's Morning Answer. So 30 years ago, Times Beach, Missouri, was bought by the federal government, leveled, and is now a state park because there was an accident that was much smaller than this one. No one's talking about the, the dioxins that these this product releases when it's yeah. when it's burned. Right. And and I want to know when the all these environmentalists that were hugging trees and so concerned about the oh, environment right. 10, 20, 30 years ago are now silent. And it's now the right wing that is the ones that are <laughs> up in arms over the ridiculous handling of this. I know. And I, I was thinking the same thing. Out. Like, where's Greta Thunberg? Where's all you climate change crazy people? Well, and um, and by contrast, um, we spent as much time covering Flint, Michigan, as we are spending covering East Palestine. But that's not the case with the press corps because why? Well, because this is Yoko country. I mean, that's that's one theory. I mean, literally, that's what uh, you see on Twitter. New Palestine. Well, here's one tweet. New Palestine disaster filling the Ohio River with dangerous chemicals, poisoning the water of Yokel Central. (gasps) Gee, that's too bad. Perhaps they'll reevaluate their voting patterns a bit. (gasps) Um, So there's there's your sort of typical leftist elitist attitude towards, uh, uh, you know, lower to middle income honkies in Trump country. Yeah, I, I wonder where that revolt came from, the deplorables. Where did these deplorables come from? Jeez, what would they be rallying against? Are, are, is there any reason they should distrust their government, particularly when it's in the hands largely of these same leftists? There was a good piece by uh, a uh, gentleman uh, from Ohio, Cleveland, uh, Darvio Morrow is the CEO of the FCB Radio Network, black gentleman, and he makes exactly this point um, about how disrespected people in flyover country like East Palestine or even Cleveland, the, the disrespect they endure from their alleged betters. He writes, we, we're used to the arrogant and dismissive sneering from the coast. But to see the almost gleeful way some progressives have reveled in the misfortune of the residents of East Palestine shows a moral, cultural, and political rot that is at the core of elite society. Yeah, that's about right. Uh, Jason in Northlake. Well, two, two, two points. Number one, government is people, just like corporations are people. And second of all is that you hear how he's just babbling on about how he has kids and this and that. But he's not babbling on about, or babbling on also about 
that they're working all together, but what are they doing as they're working all together? What's their plan? Thanks for the call, Jason. Right, and I think, and, think they have a plan. Okay. And specific questions. Oh, we're, we'll do air testing. We'll test your well uh, wells as well if you want. But then we had that kennel owner on uh, that we we played a clip from yesterday. Saying, well, but they make me sign a liability waiver to do the testing. Excellent. And then the EPA says the same thing. If you don't sign this waiver of this independent testing agency hired by the railroad, then yeah, you don't get the testing. Yeah, and if they do a test and it comes out, <clears throat> excuse me, negative, they could shut down our business and take away your livelihood. So there's this is the, the classic example of what they say they're doing, and then okay, well, is that actually happening? Uh, what are the stumbling blocks? And if their stumbling blocks are those stumbling blocks being removed, I don't know. So the 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 most of the reporting on this is as I, we talked about yesterday is is, you know, like guerrilla reporting, like uh, Rebel News and one-off citizen journalists and politicians like J.D. Vance going to a creek to demonstrate what's happening there or what has happened there. Jordan and Antioch. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Um, I think what you're seeing here is a direct result of the culture of checking boxes and putting people in charge, not based on merit, but based on who it is that you're willing to please. And this is my just an observation. This is my opinion. But I bet you, you know, start off with the derailments, right? Why have there been so many derailments lately or in the last year? And it's because you have a transportation secretary who checked a box. He has no qualifications. And then all this money that's spent, all this money that's spent on this infrastructure bill, I'd be willing to bet you if you start tracing the money, it's, to find out why we have too many white construction workers is to fund um, seminars to teach you how to be more inclusive and, and it's to do this, it's not to, to fix anything. And it, you have a, uh, there's a gentleman who used to call in, he owns a construction company talking about the bidding process and talking about the, the regulatory process and the road construction. And it goes all the way down to there, right? We give bids out to people who, because they're a minority, they're, they're not qualified. They do shoddy work. But we'll give them all the money because they check the box. And what we're seeing is this is at a federal government level, and now people's lives are actually at stake because we've allowed identitarian politics and we've allowed all this waste and all this checking boxes uh, to, to, to infiltrate everything. And now this is the result. You have unqualified people. You have people passing the buck and faking it to make it or not. And, and it's just a huge money grab. That's all this is. This is just a big money grab and unqualified people running the show. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Jordan. Well, we've got a union response to what happened with respect to the derailment. You, Peabot yesterday talked about, you know, he, he, he put it at 1,000. If you look at the 30-year average, it's about 1,500 derailments uh, a year over the last 30 years, both uh, passenger as well as freight, obviously, to varying degrees of severity. Um, so, okay, so, so, you know, and then it's just the generic, you know, so more needs to be done, blah, 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 but I won't tell you what that more is because I don't really know. So he's just saying, you know, this, it was sort of a, you know, this stuff happens and this is why we need bigger government and more infrastructure spending, the, the, the typical left line. But in terms of this specific incident, uh, uh, there was a railroad engineer who's also, um, state legislative director for, uh, a detection system. 22 years as a railroad engineer, but he's also a union guy. So you got to factor that in. But here's one 
argument that's being made, this is coming from, I would assume, railroad union guys, about what happened here and what's happening with the railroad industry generally. A lot of this is being blamed on precision scheduled rail, PSR, this this movement within the rail industry. And I don't pretend to know the nuances of it. I'm just going to present what this guy has to say because it demands a response and will effort to get that. This guy's name is um, Clyde Whitaker, and uh, he had this to say about uh, the axle that overheated and how long it was overheating and the detection systems and and uh, you know possibly how the thing derailed in the first place. The defect detectors have changed. Uh, they created several years back what's called a trending defect detector. Let's say defect detector number one, this car passes, it sees it heating up, it sends a signal to the dispatch center, and it talks to the next detector. The train passes the second detector, it sees the heat increasing, there's another alarm sent. The train crew's not hearing any of this, though. It's kind of like an algorithm, so to speak. They're watching the car. What should be happening is the dispatch center notifying the crew to keep the check on this car. But that ain't the times we live in, because it's hurry up, get the train across the railroad, let's make the fat cats on Wall Street happy, turn a profit. And now, if that crew hits the third defect detector, that car could be way too hot and be in the catastrophic uh, situation as this one was. Then the crew gets an alarm, and sometimes it's too late. Everybody on the railroad, every craft, took an extreme hit with PSR. It consolidated all these dispatchers' uh, territories to one desk, where you might have had four or five dispatchers. Now you got one guy handling, doing the work of five people. The train dispatcher might have went from covering about 200-something miles of territory upwards to 1,000. They have all these trains on the screen they're taking care of. They could have heard this silent alarm that we don't hear on the train, and they're so busy they couldn't get to that. So, you know, when somebody uses the phrase Wall Street fat cats, you have to qualify their commentary in terms of their general attitude and maybe how stilted they're presenting their position. However, uh, you obviously have specific knowledge about the industry and what's happened with these detection systems and the the dispatch and the communication between dispatch and the actual engineers on the train. And it, it is an interesting we'll, we'll effort to get an industry expert to uh, address that and whether or not this consolidation of dispatchers, you know, uh, to use his example, one guy doing the work of five guys and communicating with all the trains that are operational, if that it ha- has been impactful, if that has been, dem- you know, if there's any evidence to support the claim that that's led to a incremental increase in derailments. Don't I don't know. I don't know. But this is you know, the way that you try to figure out what's happening so you can apply specific remedies. Um, and we just had another derailment in Michigan. Right. There was supposedly one car that had hazardous materials. Thankfully, it doesn't seem like it was breached, so it doesn't seem like you're going to have anything like what you had in East Palestine, Ohio. But now that we're in this moment and there is some focus on East Palestine and what happened there from all the angles, from the derailment to the response... Uh, maybe it's time to get some answers and a better understanding of the approach that we take to these things. So well, people are paying attention now. We can figure out if Josh Shapiro was right when he cheerleaded the controlled release or if he's right after two days, three days later when he sent the letter to the transportation, the Department of Transportation saying there could have been a safer way. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560. The Answer. 
America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, As everybody knows, the nation's gay BFF is one Don Lamone, uh, CNN. Who doesn't love Don Lamone? His uh, quirkiness, his humanity. He used to work here in Chicago. His deep thinking. Yeah, Yeah, Chicago roots. Yeah. Uh, His uh, willingness to to go where most people will not go. For example, Mm -hmm. when MH370, that uh, airplane, disappeared, it was only Don Lemon thinking outside of the box who would have or could have suggested that possibly it was swallowed by a black hole. He was just asking questions at the viewers. He's just asking questions. Exactly. The, the exactly. viewers texted into his show. No, yeah. just asking questions. Yeah. That's what he does. I know. I like Don This Lemon. is why um, this moment is um, perhaps a watershed one for Don Lamone. Could go either way. Uh, him and uh, the other ladies on that uh, morning show uh, were uh, kibitzing uh, view style about the candidacy of one Nikki Haley. You know, she's running for president. But the problem is she's over the hill. She's past her prime. Joe Biden at 80, not. Nikki Haley at 51, 51, that's too old. This whole talk about age makes me uncomfortable. I think that, I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley is in her prime, sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What do you that's, talk, not acor- wait. I, that's not according to me. Prime for what? I, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll if you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say 20s, 30s and 40s. I don't necessarily. 40s. Oh, I got another I'm not saying decade. I agree with that. So I think she has to be careful about saying that, you know, politicians aren't in their prime. You need to qualify. Are you talking about prime for, like, child-bearing? Or are you talking about prime for being president? What the facts are. Google it. Ladies, ladies. When is a woman in her prime? It says 20s, 30s, and 40s. And I'm just saying Nikki Haley should be careful about saying that politicians are not in their prime. And they need to be in their prime when they serve. Because she wouldn't be in her prime, according to... Google? You know, Google or whatever it is. What is it? The prime of their sexuality? The prime of childbirth years? What is he talking about? I am so offended. I'm going to delete his cell phone from my phone content. I, I just I, I just want to bask in the, the, the thinking that's going on there, the uh, quality of the conversation. It must be why that show is just doing gangbusters. Tanking. Google said so. I mean, Don Lemon is a man of data and Google. And if Google says that women are past their prime, he, he had this thought, Nikki Haley's 51, she's past her prime. By the way, he's 56, so is he past his prime to be a host oh. at, at CNN? Probably not. But um, past your prime, yeah, 51, past your prime. Too old to run for president if you're a woman. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro. And before you go blaming Don Lamone, yes. Google Same said time. so. Well, no, Google's not. I'm Googling that right now. It says, are women at 30 past their prime? Question mark. It doesn't say that most you know, women pass, uh, under 30. I think you're missing the point, but no, oh, okay, I, you go ahead. No, no, no. no. He's, they're attacking her because she's a Republican. Obviously, Joe Biden... Our president is way past his prime, but they don't even bring that up. It's okay for a man to be old and be, be a Democrat and be president, but not for a woman. And she's not past her prime. She's 51. Give me a break. Yeah. 
And he's not on the air today, by the way. Mm-hmm. I wonder why. I'm sure it was a planned personal day. Oh, right, yeah. The um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has weighed in on this. Oh. You may remember him as Lou Alcindor. Uh, he has rallied to the defense of Don Lamone because mm-hmm. that's what you do when it's Don Lamone. Don? Kareem, here. He tweeted. Don? Yeah. It's Kareem. Uh, we know your heart was in the right place. What? I think you were referencing women being in their prime during their reproductive years. Because women are always in their prime. Because in my opinion, they get stronger, more courageous, and more beautiful as they get older. There you go. The big guy in the middle papers uh, over it, makes everything fine. He brings people reconciliation. Wonderful. I wonder Kareem. if ladies of the view are going to chastise him for that comment because I think they're all in their prime or out of their prime years. Hmm. Hmm. Do you feel like you're in your prime? I'm in my prime right now. Not according to Don Lamone. Ah. Yeah. He yeah. Po- apologized. He did? What's, what does his apology sound like? The reference I made to a woman's prime quotations this morning was inartful and irrelevant as colleagues and loved ones have pointed out and i regret it a woman's age i'm not done yet a woman's age doesn't define her either personally or professionally i have countless women in my life oh good who prove that every day the end love don i love you all please i want to keep my job google made me do it google made me do it <laughs> oh golly uh, it's so much fun i mean it's just so this is you know fleeting and silly but well nikki haley was the best but she, that's but that's don lamone she tweeted liberals can't stand the idea of having competency tests for older politicians to make sure they can do the job by the way it's always the liberals who are the most sexist mm. uh, yeah sexist. i mean it's just th- stupid <laughs> Like this, this is not a moment for moral indignation, because it's Don Lamone. It's somebody. It's, this is not somebody to be taken seriously. This is just a moment to have fun and ridicule Lamone for your own sort of personal enjoyment. You know, come up with your best zingers. Don't get all upset. Don't get all worked up about this. It's Don Lamone. <laughs> come on. Will and Skokie are on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, how how can you expect a gay guy to really understand anything about women or interactions with women? I or mean, a straight guy, you, for that matter. And also, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Or or he he's sitting. I mean, anybody who sits there, they're basically confusing Google with intelligence. Looking stuff up on Google is not intelligent. Looking well, that, stuff up on Google is is asking for trouble, really. Well, I mean, well thanks for the call, Will. But that that's an affliction that Don Lamone suffers. That not not all. Not all gay people do. That's just that's specific to Don Lamone. Everything we're talking about here is very, very specific to one Don Lamone, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have women in my life. I've known women for a long time. I, I love women. I blah 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 blah. But countless I like... women, Dan. Yeah. Know, in my life, prove that every day. So that anyway, doesn't define you. Do you, you know, feel like you're in your prime, Dan? No, I'm. I'm. You know, I'm just. You're in the back nine. What are, where are you? I'm just marking days off a calendar. You know, <laughs> at, at this point, that's that's. I'm just trying to get. But um, 
you know, I may, you got to give him a break. I mean, he probably had white construction workers on the mind because of <laughs> Pete Buttigieg. Uh, Frank in Arlington Heights. Hey, good morning. You know, most of these commentators, I'm not even sure if they know what a prime number is. I mean, their intellect is so vapid and vacuous that, uh, you know, how, why are they able to comment on whether a politician is in their prime or not? Seems ridiculous. Of course, all of the politicians, including Trump, have all been such a big disappointment the last, what, 50, 60 years, maybe since Reagan. And, um, you know, I don't know if anybody can handle this country anymore. We need a 28th Amendment. We need to cripple the bureaucracy. That 28th Amendment should basically say that uh, you cannot work for a federal agency for more than eight years or ten years. We need term limits for the federal bureaucrats. That's about the only way to save this country. It doesn't matter which politician, whether they're prime or they're not. They're all completely incapable of dealing with, with this mess, this leviathan that we've created. Thanks for the call, Frank. Um, yeah, by the way, if you're a woman's in her prime in her 20s, 30s, and 40s, according to Don Lamont, Google made him do it. Um, so should we lower the age to be president so that oh, women sure. in their 20s can? Because you, you know, got to be in your prime. You're prime. right. Fighting yeah. age, Dan. <laughs> I mean. Got a bunch of text messages. For 51. Yeah. <laughs> 51, you're out of your prime. At 51, maybe by 50, you've learned a thing or two. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, forget Google. Let's ask chat. GBT. Yeah, chat GBT, yeah, chat AI, AI GBT, right. Yeah. I'm sure they'll Could come up that. with, yeah, I'm sure they'll come up with the same answer. Or they'll come up with it because uh, Don Lamone made an uh, inartful comment. Mm-hmm. I can't provide an answer to that. We'll see. Um, what about that competency test thing that Nikki Haley is talking about, too? He's mm-hmm. 75 right. years or older. You have to take a competency test so you don't have a 90-year-old die-fi wandering around the halls in the Senate not knowing where she's going. I think that's a great idea. Why yeah. not? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I mental competency tests, like period. Everybody. Every age. Even for TV anchors. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh, that would be interesting. That'd that would be a fun experiment, huh? That would change the lineup. <laughs> Tom in Blue Island. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Amy, did you not? Did you ever work with Don Lamone at uh, Channel Five? Of course I did. I've. He's been in my house. I've been in his. We we're, were good friends. She, he, that he, he Amy is co- one of the women that Don Lamone knows that's Listen, in his life. He knew me when I was at my prime, guys. Yeah, wow. He actually Boy. tore one of my uh, C-sections. Well, I mean, clearly oh, women are in their prime in their twenties, thirties, and forties. Unless you want to, you know, lay into this nonsense today. So maybe we could. Amy, can you get Don Lamone's phone number? Maybe I get us. I'm not giving it to single guy some advice out here. Yeah, yeah, right. Thanks for the call. Do you want to hear how he tore my stitch? So I was on maternity leave with my second child when I was in my prime. And I went to um, Stephanie Stress, I think it was her 30th birthday party, when she was in her prime. And he was so excited to see me that he grabbed me from behind and pulled me up and I popped a stitch. I know. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not talking about the the stitch. I'm talking (laughs) about the embrace of Don Lamone. Oh. Oh, Don. Oh. We used to be such good friends. <laughs> Donnie. Yeah, well, why aren't you creaming him? Why aren't you coming uh, to his because rescue I, saying, I, he, I am a woman in Don Lamone's life, and he loves women, and I don't take offense? And... Well, he might not love me now because I'm not in my prime. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. David Wakanda. Hey, good morning. Happy Friday. I'm going to 
pick on you, Dan, for calling him Don Lamone. His name's Lemon. I'm not going to call you Dan Profay. <laughs> well, if if I ask you to, out of respect for my identity crisis, I would hope you would. Dan Profay. I like that, actually. Oh, it sounds sophisticated. Remember yeah. when Governor Pritzker called you Dan Profit? Oh, oh, do you oh, see what he did there? there? He, he's mean. Oh, you know what? He, he's a he's, big he's, bully. He's, he's a bully, though. He's, he's a total mean. bully. Yeah. People think he's this fat, jolly guy. He is angry. Yeah. And he has he, to have people put on his shoes because he can't do it himself. He called me a name. And he hurt my feelings. Boo. Uh-huh. Boo. Don Lamone. And no, not Don Lamone, J- mm-hmm. Jelly Belly, but yeah, Don Lamone. He hurt a lot of women's feelings, particularly CNN viewers. Well, so. he's off the air this morning. I don't know what that's all about. Well, he needs to think about what he did. <laughs> bad, bad boy. Well, he doesn't like sharing this. I mean, he did his own show for years, so he's been in trouble this whole last week because he cuts off anchors and won't let him talk and yeah, blows a... off commercials and well, I mean, doing he's... his own thing. Well, he's bitchy. In the morning. You know, he's better at night. He's a little bitchy in the morning, don't you think? <laughs> Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I'm still can't get over uh, Biden's defeat of the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. I'm wondering if uh, maybe if sending them an "I'm sorry" Mylar balloon oh, would be too soon. We'll would, just stave off war, and we don't want a protracted conflict with the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade after the Biden administration shot down their gas bag over Canada. Over the weekend, I mean, you know? it's a hobby club, you guys, and this is not. I thought you were joking. It's fronting as a hobby club. It's no. fronting as a hobby club. It, they're homegrown terrorists. It was a twelve-dollar balloon that has gone around the earth, I guess, four times, according to Mike Scott. It was just a, and it was not sinister by any yeah. means. But, but gosh darn it, you're right. Oh, Biden nailed sinister. it down. Aren't you naive? You knocked it down. Uh, that it's going around the world because the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade is oh, preparing for global domination. <laughs> so many memes out there. It's like Joe popped our balloon. Uh-huh. So many different memes. This uh-huh. group is there. It's good. They got some young kids, and then they've got an old man. If you look on their um, on their web page, they got an old man literally holding a little balloon in the back. You know, just they look harmless men. Exactly. That's exactly what they want. Illinois. That's exactly what they want you to think. Uh-huh. You're falling for it. They're unrepentant killers. Insurrectionists. The Northern Illinois Bo- Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. Uh, the defeat of that uh, uh, that cell. What does that mean for our economy? I wonder. Uh, for some help with that, please be joined by Scott the Cow Guy, Shell the Market Specialist for Market Day Report. That's ten thirty to one Chicago time, and the Cow Guy close. That's one to one thirty Chicago time, both on RFD TV. Scott the Cow Guy, uh, V N I. Well, what, what are the acronyms? Uh-huh. Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon. N-I-B-B. 
<laughs> no, it's V-I- N-I-B- no, it's V-N-I-B-B day. Yeah. It's CCP. It's CCP. That's, that's the real. Yeah, it's right. It's N-I-B-B-B.org if you want to get to know who these sinister people are. Right. If you want to join their... Brigade. Yeah, the brigades. Uh, all right, uh, Scott. Uh, uh, well, I, I mean, if you have a comment on the geopolitics, because obviously, in a serious note, the China, the Chicom spy balloon and the relationship between China and the United States has an impact on markets, particularly against the backdrop of reports. CEOs are going back to mainland China now. Now that it's post-COVID, it's safe to go back to the mainland. Um, What is that dynamic in terms of its impact on our economic vitality? I mean, we're we're so tightly intertwined with uh, China. I mean, it's almost impossible to think about how that could be Unwound. I mean, I know there's an effort underway to start to divest at some places, but it's 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 a big deal, and and they're a huge market, and the dollar signs have captivated most CEOs for probably the last 30 years. And um, but yeah, they've gone. Some CEOs have gone back, but we just got reports this morning of um, a very well-known big dealmaker CEO uh, that just went. Uh, he he's gone missing, like Jack Mao did for a little while. So uh, look. Um, Clearly, there's something here because we we, are, we never really call call it what it is. He dances our our president dances around it, saying that uh, he makes no you know he's not going to apologize for shooting a, a foreign object from the CCP in our air down. I mean, why would you even say that? I, I don't understand. But he continues to try to forge ahead with a relationship with them and saying that we're going to be competing and we're not uh, a contender. We're not adversaries. I. I uh, and so it just screams to me, at least in the business community, that there's something there that they don't want you to see. Maybe just like there's something there they don't want you to see in the Ukraine, so they'll continue to fund that so nobody can get over there. But uh, the nefarious things aside, we, we might have inflation rearing its ugly head again in this country. That's that's probably what's been going through the business world over the last four days. Right. We had two big that's, numbers, that, uh, the Consumer it, Price Index, which is generally, you know, respected as the or taken as the the inflation rate in this country and that came in hotter than expected at 6.4 percent so we have a 6.4 percent inflation rate here we're supposed to be at two percent that's what the fed would like to see the high last year was 9.1 so we even in essence raised interest rates eight times from zero to 4.75 percent and all that's done is knocked about 2.7 percent off of the cpi from 9.1 to 6.4 yeah, but I, I, you know, I know the market didn't uh, react well yesterday. But uh, I mean, what, what what is the surprise here? You, you, the two percent is on a three-year horizon. At least that's what seems to be priced in the market from the outset of this uh, these rate hikes. And number two, I mean, you thought uh, that uh, inflation was just going to go down at a forty-five degree angle. There'd be no stickiness to it. I mean, uh, what what is so surprising yeah, well, about the environment? No, think about it, though, Dan. I mean, since 2008, when we've had the Fed distorting asset prices because they've been involved with the markets, that's 15 years. We've got some money managers that got out of school at age 22 that are now 35 to 37 years old that actually think, that, oh, yeah, it's going to come back down just as quickly as it went up. Nobody's seen this before. I've seen it. I've said this is going to be a very long landing, not a soft landing, not a hard landing. It's going to be long. Inflation is going to be probably the number one point for the election in 2024. But everybody else seems to think, oh, this is going to go away just as quickly as it came up. And you've got our American consumer getting absolutely soaked because they've spent all their savings and racked up all their credit cards because this was going to be 
a short-term issue. They could give themselves their own bridge loan to get through it, and they've been duped. And now they're just standing there holding the bag, and this looks like this could go, like you said, two or three years because of that 2% mandate is so far away. And all the people out there, all those young money managers that were hoping for some sort of pivot or some sort of rate cut, I'd like to smoke what they're smoking because at 6.4%, they're not going to stop until we do do get down to two. And as long as that's the first thing out of your mouth, there's nothing else to talk about. Well, they're not going to stop. So I, I I don't know where these people you know they're they're hoping for good news, and it's just not happening. There's going to be a great there's going to be a great reckoning when the market suddenly starts to hear what the Fed is saying because right now it's ignoring it. Well, what about the housing market? How's that faring through all of this? Well, I mean there 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 has been bubble. I mean there has been some signs in some states that. It's actually bubbling back up again with some folks uh, outbidding each other for some homes, uh, and, and there has been uh, some reports that maybe the consumer is getting more comfortable with higher rates at this level. I'm not quite so sure that's the case, but I knew it, I know at some point in time people will have to. But if the Fed continues to raise rates, I mean, we've seen a lot of layoffs. We had two big layoffs announced yesterday. That's going to continue to batter the market. Stocks will continue to go down. At some point in time, the market will realize the Fed's not joking, and we're going to see rates, maybe that terminal rate, what they call the rate that they're going to stop raising rates. Right now it's 4.75. They thought they'd stop around 5, 5 and a quarter. It looks like they're going to be going to 6 and maybe above 6. And so there's no good news when you talk about housing with a 6% terminal rate or whatever the funds, what the Fed funds rate is when they finally do stop. And that's coming through in the numbers, you know, new home sales and new starts, building permits. It's going to be a very difficult. And then look at lumber. Remember when nobody could afford a sheet of plywood? Oh, yeah. And the barn finds went from, say, Camaros to, to stacks of plywood? Well, you know, lumber's at, you know, at, 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 on their lows, so that's, that's telling you something there, too. So it's not I'm, – I'm trying to find something good about the economy, and there just isn't anything out there. The last thing that anybody could say was any good was the 517,000 jobs we posted two weeks ago today, but that was after a, a, a revision – uh, of three th- three million jobs, they added back in for a seasonal adjustment. If they didn't add that three million back in. We would have lost two point five million in December. So, I, I mean, the, the, with respect to the housing market, though, it's going to be uneven because, sort of, as you were intimating, the exodus that's happening from blue states to red states that's going to continue almost regardless of what rates are, in part because there's a lot of cash buyers. But, um, but I mean, you know, you see that uh, California has lost half a million, net lost half a million people over the last two years. They're going somewhere, and I don't think it's Illinois. Right. Exactly right. And, and I mean, the top five, I mean, not to get too political, but look at the top five states losing people versus the top five states gaining people. And, I, you know, people are voting with their feet, and, I, I mean, I can't blame them. And I, I, it's, it's, that's, that's going to be the, the case going forward because – it's going to get down to the nitty gritty where, hey, there's no. I'm in Tennessee, man. I don't have any, you know, uh, state tax. Neither do you down in Florida, Dan. So um, that's a nice little bump there. Plus, the states, you know, the state is generally red. That's, you know, everything it runs fairly well. They don't have uh, bad problems with deficits. I mean, a lot of common sense stuff. I think is going to come to the fore. Right now, common sense is not popular. Um, they're trying to tell you that. Uh, what you see in here is is not happening. That's not what's you know what's out there. They're trying to change definitions. I mean, I don't know if you know that they try to change the way we calculate CPI in the first place. This right. was going to be the first read that it came out with a new calculation. I was preparing for a CPI read of 3.8 because they were going to change the derivation. So there's so many things out there that kind of make you wonder that the ground you're standing on is shifting beneath your feet. But 
I, I, you know, I've been doing this for 35, 36 years. I, I think that we're in some pretty precarious times when it comes to the economy, and everybody's just whistling by the graveyard. So you th- you think that uh, Garland's going to go a quarter point in March, but then he's he's going to keep going, and if yeah. he keeps going beyond March, uh, beyond five, or even beyond five and a quarter, that's not priced into the market right now. That's what you're saying. No, I mean, so I'd say, you know, the the, the good research that you can read says we're going to get at least three more quarter point hikes, at least three. Goldman Sachs came out with something like that again this morning. Um, I, I agree with that. Uh, but, there, you know, slowly but surely you will start to see the damage of the of the interest rate hikes we started doing last March. Um, but uh, it seems that with the numbers and the way that they're calculating them, we're just, there's got to be a big reckoning. Somebody's got to be right. That, you know, it, it, right now, the layoffs that you're hearing about are not showing up in the, in the jobs numbers. And everybody, in, in a, you go to a local bar and try to tell somebody you don't think the economy is doing well, the two things they throw back in my face are 3.4% unemployment rate and we've got 11 million open jobs for 6, six million people looking every right. single time. Right. So those numbers are way off, or I'm, I'm completely wrong. I mean, because this, to me, it doesn't look anywhere near what people are, t- are, are trying to tell me it's like. And I've been doing it a long time, but... You know, I, I can't ignore what my stomach's tell me, and it says this is a pretty precarious situation. Well, the other thing they're telling you is that look at the market rally since the beginning of the year. Right. But that's, I, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that haven't seen bad stuff. And this is climbing a wall of worry, and there's a lot of guys out there. I had a guy on my show yesterday. He's, he is all in, bullish. This thing's going through the roof. Now, if the Fed comes out and says, hey, we're, we can't make that 2%, let's do 4 and then work our way down. He'll be right. The market will go through the roof. But at some point in time, the bottom line is this, Dan and Amy. I don't care if the, if the CPI is 6.4%. I don't care if it's 2%. Nobody's got any money in their pocket. Yeah. I mean, look at they have, the savings rates are at all-time record lows. Credit card usage has gone skyrocketing. And at the same time, they're raising rates on those credit card bills. That's not good. The consumer is about to crack. And now we've got all the CEOs from Amazon to Google you name it, they're laying off people left, right, and center. If I'm going to believe anybody, I'm going to believe what the consumers got in their bank and what the CEOs that have some skin in the game have to say about it. Well, so those nice prices we enjoyed, you know, at the supermarket during Trump administration, we're never going to see those again? Amy, last quarter, for the first time ever on record, a dozen eggs eclipsed the price of a pound of beef. Oh, I, I know. I know. I mean, that's insane. It's insane. It's up seventy. A dozen eggs used to be a buck fifty. So now a, a dozen eggs is four eighty. A, wow. a pound of beef is four sixty. Yes, here those. See, that's the the bottom line is they're telling you that the CPI is six or inflation is six point four percent. I I'll challenge anybody to go to Safeway or whatever your local Dominic's, whatever it is. If you can get in and out of there for less than six point four percent than you paid last year, no way, no way. Is so so just going back to the market writ large. So I, I think I know the answer, but just for clarity's sake, you think the the rally since the beginning of the year is a short squeeze that's running out now? Is that is I don't that know if it's think? a short squeeze. I think everybody there was a lot of talk at Davos. We're getting inflation going in the right direction. Everybody felt you know felt you know warm and fuzzy. Things are doing you know the, the Fed's doing what they said they were going to do, but everybody conveniently forgot about the fact that they're st- you know we need to get to two percent. Oh, yeah, we came down from 9.1 to 6.5 or 6.4. That's great. But there's still a long way to go. And the rest, Dan, it's going to be the lower that CPI goes, the harder it gets to go lower again, right, because you're getting into labor. You're getting into entrenched inflation that's going to be very difficult to get rid of. And, so, and by the way, for the first time ever, 
my Fed, has said out loud that they're going to put people out of work, and they'd like to see the unemployment rate rise to, 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 to make up for their ills in the first place. Well, right. But I don't I mean, we've talked about that with Steve Moore, too. I don't even understand why that's not being challenged, particularly by conservatives. That's that's old Phillips curve thinking that there's this trade off between employment and, and inflation. And that's we the Reagan's the Reagan's seven fat years disprove that. Right. But they're, Dan, they thought they, that's not even in black and white. They've actually said it. We need to see unemployment rise in order to get inflation under control, which they started the inflation. So we need to put people out of work so that we can make up for our bad mistakes. I mean, to me, that, that's mind-boggling. All right, so so I'm putting all my money in um, six-month treasuries. What am I doing? Well, you can get, I think you can almost get 5% there now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's my point. Yeah, I mean, I, I, look, I, I would, if, I, I, you know, we manage my mother's money. We have a family office. I've got some money in one-year treasury. I mean, one, I'm getting 4.5% on some stuff. I mean, why, why risk it right now? I mean, it's going to be pretty precarious, I think, for the next six months. So, and so I'd wait. And, I'd rather miss a rally than be in it thinking it's going to be great and lose ten or fifteen percent. So you're not you're not running with the bulls. You're not running no. with the bulls right now. All right. No. Scott the Cow Guy, Shelley, market specialist for Market Day Report, ten thirty Chicago time. Cow Guy close one o'clock Chicago time. RFD TV is where you find those programs. Scott the Cow Guy, thanks as always. It's have a good weekend. <laughs> Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Have you caught uh, the documentary Reflecting on Anti-Bias Education in Action, The Early Years? I have not. Well, the good news is that uh, if you haven't made time to search it out and view it, if you're a teacher or a child care professional, you'll probably be mandated to see it in order to maintain your licensing or in the case of a school, your accreditation. That's the direction it's going. Reflecting on anti-bias education in action, the early years, which some professional associations that license child care professionals and accrediting agencies that accredit schools, K through 12, are now mandating for accreditation or licensing. Huh. Here's a little snippet. Oh, by the way, the, the backstory, I want to set this up, of course. Um, this is a documentary that follows teachers at two West Coast preschools as they educate, in quotation marks, their students in a number of subjects. Uh-huh. Sure, educate. Oh, Huckleberries. Today, I wanted to introduce you to a new friend in our class. Well, this, Huckleberries, is my friend, Nash. It's their first day in our class. They're just looking around at all of you, and they're so curious to know who you all are. Today, uh was fun. It was really interesting though, knowing going in being like, I don't know what questions kiddos are going to have or what they're going to say, um, which is both like nerve-wracking, but also kind of exciting. It's that place of um, not knowing as a teacher and just being okay with that. And the friend likes to ask the question, are you a boy or a girl? And Nash answers, 
I'm just a kid. But a kid, but kids can be boys or girls. They can be boys but or girls. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And then later in the film, the, the young kids make Black Lives Matter signs and march around them in a preschool. The uh, class also writes a statement supporting the Black Lives Matter movement, which one child reads to camera. The Black Lives Matter movement is a group of people who want to make sure that people of all skin colors are treated fairly. Black Lives Matter because black people are not being treated fairly, and that's not nice. That's the prepared statement that the kids are required to read at um, rhetorical gunpoint. By the way, the documentarian says this is not scripted. This is following actual teachers. These are actual teachers in their own voice sharing their classroom experiences like this gentleman. Is we need to... Children need to feel safe to be whoever they want to be. And that is what's happening in the dramatic play area. They are acting out different um, ways of being in the world. Um, in one of my first morning meetings, I bring a skirt that I like to wear. I tell the children that, you know, I want to wear the skirt, but I want to make sure that I feel safe wearing a skirt in the classroom. And, and so I'm, I'm just a little bit afraid that someone might laugh or they might... Um, feel uncomfortable. So I just want you to know that sometimes I wear a skirt and it's really comfortable. I like it. I like to spin around in it. That is one way to use my own personal things that I like to do as a um, model for dramatic play. And so the children... He's a preschool teacher. That's Fra sick. And he wears that for dramatic play. Guess well, what? It's not about you. It's about the kids. Well, he likes to spin around in it and provide an example, yeah. so long as it's safe that he doesn't get ridiculed by any three-year-old or four-year-old. Uh-huh. Just stick to primary colors. The State of K-12 through Education. For more on this and other topics, please be joined by David Harsani, Senior Editor at The Federalist, Federalist.com, author of Eurotrash, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. How are we doing on that score? David Harsani, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. We're not doing well. That's very disturbing what I just heard. What do you mean? Just a uh, dramatic play, wear a skirt you like to wear. It's fun. You spin around and, um, you know, tell the kids don't make fun of me. What's you know, a lot of people think totalitarian governments stop people from participating in politics, but actually they make everything about politics. And that's what this feels like to me, you know, mm -hmm. where it has to be injected in from preschool and, you know, then state-run schools where you don't really even have a say in many states and parents don't have a say. It's just – it really is horrifying. Uh, it really is just horrifying to be a parent today. I, I don't know how pe young people do it. Uh, well, as you look around the country and, and you write about and think about these issues, uh, we're trying to find models that can be replicated. And – it seems like DeSantis has a model, even if you don't agree with every uh, tactic he's taken. He's certainly uh, engaged and he's uh, trying to drive some of this out and restore something like what uh, sort of um, yeah, a non-politicized K through 12 education was once upon a time or at least you know, open minded and discussion, not indoctrination of a particular viewpoint. Also, Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, and it's not just the governor there. In fact, that's the interesting thing where, yes, there was revolts at the local level and then DeSantis picked – and DeSantis is a, a significant driver of it. In Virginia, just because of the nature of that state as compared to Virginia, it was, you know, left-center, center-left center parents in places like northern Virginia 
uh, Fairfax and Loudoun counties that really drove this. Glenn Youngkin got on board, and now they're driving it together. I, I mean, are there are there better models than that when it comes to the state's responsibility for K through 12 education and addressing some of what we all see going on? No, I think when you think about Virginia, it was actually maybe a bigger lift for Youngkin to win. Obviously, the state has turned purple, if not blue, frankly. Um, and I think it was just sort of a revolt of the normies, you know, just normal suburban people who who saw the excesses of government interference and the ideological stuff it had to do with the covid lockdowns as well. But I think in many ways it also had to do with, uh, you know, it's sort of identitarian racist, uh, you know, uh, curriculum and, and things like that. So, yeah, I, I think Youngkin's a great example of how you can work to bring in center left people who are not on board with kind of the you know just the, i don't know even know what to call it the kind of racist and just crazy insane uh gender politics that have invaded our schools and and the normies uh, exist in blue states too as you were mentioning with virginia but but not just on these this identitarian stuff although this is connected to identitarianism but like this story out of culver city california where parents are pushing back against the elimination of honors classes there right uh-huh. this whole this whole um a part of the program of the left to uh, eliminate anything that resembles meritocracy and anything that would separate kids. I mean, except by race, of course. Yeah, which is crazy that, you, you know, the, stre- the stress on our immutable ca- characteristics and then throwing away our, our, our achievements is exactly the opposite, I think, at least, of what the ideal used to be for everyone here in this country, um, from, you know, MLK on, for sure. And... You know, it's just nuts. So if you destroy meritocracy, if then the state has to step in and then decide where everyone is and isn't. So isn't that just Marxism of a different variety? I think it is. I'm not saying that, you know, these people are like Stalin and they want to have camps. Uh, but I am saying that we're headed in an incredibly dangerous direction. And I'm not like, you know, I'm generally positive about America, but it's getting harder and harder to be that way. Hmm. Um, the uh, the entrance of Nikki Haley into the presidential race and uh, this siren song of identity politics that uh, even some on the right can't resist. She seems to be one of them. You know, all of this uh, sort of brown girl rhetoric uh, with uh, that was attendant to her announcement. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I want to see Tim Scott and politicians, uh, uh, to this, some of these newly minted congressmen in Houston and um um, Arizona, I think, uh, younger minority congressman, uh, African-American gentleman in Houston and Latino gentleman in Arizona. Uh, yeah, I want to see the party be reflective. But but I mean, the 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 um, using the lexicon of the left seems to me unproductive, actually counterproductive. You see, I agree, but I think there's a better way for her and others to frame that, you know, or, you know, that argument, I guess, is to say, listen, my parents came here as immigrants and this is a meritocracy because they just worked hard. They had a family. They stayed married, whatever, and worked hard because the system, the system is great. And it's not not about your color. But, you know, yeah, they, they really lean in on the language of, you know, quote unquote, diversity and stuff like that. I, I don't know that it's going to be very productive. I don't think it really matters that much. I'm not that impressed by her in general as a candidate. Yeah. Well, what did you think about her calling for uh, mental competency tests for politicians over 75? 
I think it's sort of a gimmick. It's not going to happen. I, I get why she's saying it, and she's not wrong. I mean, look at Joe Biden. It's 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 frightening that he's in charge of the world's most deadly military. But uh, I just don't think it's going to happen. You know, I, I think maybe voters who put these people in need mental acuity tests, frankly, yeah. because mm-hmm. we're co- constantly doing it. But anyway, calling I mean, John think Fetterman. Mitch- yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, and that was uh, and that has to do with the media as well that hides, uh, you know, hides what's going on with these candidates. It was clear that he should not have been running. And now, you know, it's, it's a terrible situation. Hospitalized um, again for depression. Well, not again, but he checked himself into the hospital for depression. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but, I mean, but if they um, didn't force him to run, he wouldn't have been this way. I mean, who knows? Well, the important thing and obviously is obviously there's no there's nothing wrong with being depressed or or no. checking yourself in. Obviously, I hope. Yeah, exactly. But you know, the point is that everyone could see he wasn't okay to run, and yet, I don't know. You know, his family, uh, the media, the Democrats pushed him and attacked anyone who pointed out the obvious. Right. So I think that you know, stuff's clear right. But um, but but the important thing is we we know he's for fracking because he's he's for fracking. So as he said, he's for fracking. So just remember that. Um, you wrote this uh, hateful column called "Get Married, Have Kids, Stay Together, Mind Your Own Business." Um, why so angry? No, um, um, <laughs> the 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 point the problem with that is I mean I right it seems fairly straightforward. But 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 you're not allowed to mind your own business because. Because that's just not the posture of the left. They, you're not, they're not going to let you mind your own business. So now, what do I do? Yeah, there's a real. I think it's a big problem, and I haven't sort of. I need to dive in more and think about it. But there was once the model good citizen, a person who paid their taxes and went to work, who had a family, who did all those things. And now the good citizen, it seems to me, young people think a good citizen is an activist, constantly putting their nose in other people's business, trying to compel people to live a certain way. Um, sort of shaming people who don't think that way and on and on. And that's not good citizenship. It's really anti-Republican in, in, in the American sense. And um, and there was this thing on Vice, Vice Television where they had a group of Asian kids or Asian young people talking about America. And uh, one of them was just had some common sense and the others yeah. went, you know, yeah. had a meltdown. Yeah. So I, I, I sort of wrote this column off, off, off of watching that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was great. Uh, we we uh, played clips from that too and discussed it. Uh, the, the the jackals that just you know swarmed this kid who was just saying things that uh, a generation ago, maybe five years ago, would have been completely uh, uncontroversial. Yeah, well, uh, one of the kids sitting right in front of him. What I learned later, and you might have known this, got into Stanford writing "Black Lives Matters" like a thousand times in a row, oh <laughs> and he's a son of like some <laughs> so. So, yeah. you know, I, meritocracy I we're using our brains. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Oh, that's great. Um, I, I, I did want to let you opine on this, too. We talked a bit a little bit earlier in the week. Uh, clap on, clap off. James Clapper um, saying uh, doing a little bit of uh, uh, reputational rehab or at least attempting to as others who signed the famous letter saying the Hunter Biden laptop was classic, had classic earmarks of a Russian disinformation campaign. Um, and uh, and Clapper correcting those who are critical of people like him, saying, we said it had the earmarks. We didn't know. You have to read paragraph five of our statement. We clearly said there we didn't know. And so, yeah, now you're saying he's lying, and that seems that seems just very uncharitable. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, his story is completely implausible. He also said he didn't ever heard how Joe Biden framed that letter as, as sort of deflecting criticism. 
that's in, so 50 people, 50, you know, really powerful people didn't watch a presidential debate. They didn't watch 60 minutes. They never saw the political political piece and said, wow, that that headline is really you know, misleading. <laughs> of course, it's, it's, it's just implausible. He's a terrible liar. He lied to the American people about domestic surveillance at one point. He's lying now. He's a partisan. And what, the worst part of this is that we can't trust anyone anymore. There's a huge vacuum of trust in this country because people like he, him are lying and not lying to preserve American lives or anything like that, but lying for partisan reasons. And that's a Another huge problem, you know, and it's sort of it's sort of emblematic of what we're talking about just in the in everyday life too among everyday Americans. Anthony Esselin writes about this beautifully. Like, you know, look, if your existence is looking for ways to jackpot your neighbor, then you are not a good person. You know, the good person is is not looking to always try to cast somebody that they disagree with or 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 just anybody, to, to, even if they don't disagree with them, but for their own sort of uh, aggrandizement in a negative light. And that's what so many on the left, uh, regular everyday Americans, as well as the powerful people and the TV people do. Yeah, because they, you know, again, I just think all, all of these things we're talking about are, are about deeper problems. We have a bunch of people in this country who think politics are a religion. They treat it like a bunch of religious zealots who can't abide, can't live with the thought of someone else or their neighbor or someone in another state living the kind of life or thinking the kind of things that they disagree with. You can't have a country. You can't actually have a diverse country in that way because diversity is about what you think and do as well as, you know, the color of your skin or whatever. So, you know, and that's just another deep problem here. We have, I mean, what leftist policy isn't about compulsion. It just doesn't exist, you know, except they say abortion, which, which I think is about something else. But, you know, that, that's a big problem. David Harsani. everything's a big problem. Well, I don't know how else to describe them, right? See, uh, David Harsani, senior editor at The Federalist, federalist.com. The book, Euro Trash, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. David, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, the residents of East Palestine, Ohio, want some answers and some guidance, and it seems like they're having some difficulty getting either they're getting pronouncements, but then those pronouncements are contradicted. For example, the decision to do a controlled release of the chemicals that were being transported in that Norfolk Southern train that derailed. That was the best option of bad options. That's what, that's what was announced by the mayor per his consultation with ostensibly federal officials by both governors DeWine of Ohio and Shapiro of Pennsylvania. But then just recently, Governor Shapiro of Pennsylvania seemed to reverse course when he sent this letter to the Department of Transportation, as recounted last night by Tucker Carlson. Claiming that Norfolk Southern was, quote, unwilling to explore or articulate alternative courses of action to their proposed vent and burn. It was very obvious, he says, that there was probably a, quote, safer overall approach for first responders residents and the environment 
So was that the best of bad options? The governor seems to be saying two things. And what do we do now? Should we stay? Should we go? Should we drink the water? Should we send our kids to school? Governor Mike DeWine of Ohio on MSNBC yesterday. So if it were your family governor, you'd be okay sending everybody back home? Yeah, look, I mean, we we indicated that uh, we're, we're going to continue to test the air. We're going to continue to test the water. Uh, but what that is indicating is that it is is very, very safe. <laughs> mm. Not buying it. Doesn't inspire a ton of confidence. Would you go home? Yes or no? We indicated we would. Mm. Uh, for more on this, trying to make sense of it, uh, pleased to be joined by Dr. William Sawyer. He's a professional toxicologist with extensive experience in public health and forensic toxicology and specialized expertise in causation analyses. William Sawyer, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Yes, good morning. Good morning. So the um, the initial, the, the original decision after the derailment to do a controlled release. The, uh, uh, the the explanation that was given, it was either uh, we do that controlled release or we wait for it to explode, and that would have been worse. Um, but now the governor of Pennsylvania is seeming to suggest that there was some unnamed better option potentially available. What's your assessment? Uh, well, it's very clear that the uh, option was incorrect. The let me explain it this way. There were primarily five chemical ingredients involved. One of those chemicals is highly volatile. That's vinyl chloride. It boils at around eight degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, the other chemicals, for the most part, are reasonably stable. Um, you know, some of those acrylates are, you know, don't even have a boiling point. They're just sort of a, a thick, sludgy mix. Um, So the controlled burn, the problem is with a controlled burn, and I I don't even agree that it was controlled. It was really an out-of-control burn. But at any rate, that releases what we call a plume, a pyrolysis plume. Pyrolysis means that chemicals that are formed, uh, when you take these five ingredients and mix them together uh, in a partial combustion situation, it forms other byproducts. We call these pyrolysis products. And they travel long distance, whereas if there was no controlled burn, there would be a very high point source of pollution. Uh, So normally what happens before such decisions are made, an expert chemist in pyrology and expert toxicologists are brought in as consultants and determine whether or not a controlled burn would be uh, feasible. And in this case, the wrong decision was made. So, 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 uh, you know, the mayor at the town hall the other night taught, and he, I'm sure he was just repeating what he was told. So I'm not blaming him, but this is what he explained to the residents. Said uh, if we had not done the controlled burn, then it would have there would have been a polymerization of the chemicals causing an explosion. Number one, is that true? Uh, was that a possibility? And then number two, then if if uh, the control release wasn't proper and if this was a potential uh, ticking bomb, what should have been done? Well, normally there are foams and extinguish, extinguishing materials uh, that put the fire out, basically. Um, 
and and so I, I really can't speak on the the degree of the fire. I was not there, but um, what I can tell you is that we have a two different world situation. We have testing of air and water, which is reported to be negative, and that is a completely different concern than the long-term effect of these pyrolysis products that form, and they persist within the dust, within the household dust, within the floor, the baby's hands and mouth activity ingest that dust, uh, pregnant females ingest it, and that dust, that uh, material that has fallen out, the deposition of that material is a completely different situation than testing air and water for acute toxicity. In other words, we have the short-term effects versus long-term. Now, in this case, we actually have adverse health effects that are consistent with carbonyl chloride, that is phosgene gas, a, a Schedule Three chemical warfare agent. I mean, we have health effects that are consistent with that. So I would be very concerned as to whether the testing that's been done is actually adequate and whether OSHA method 61 is being used. Are they actually drawing several hundred liters of air to reach possible detection limits that are needed? Uh, there's a lot of questions here, but the main point is there's two different worlds. There's the acute, acute air water situation, of uh, direct exposure, and then there's the long-term aftermath of this situation, which is uh, in my mind, a more serious problem, actually. So hypothetically, say a woman just gave birth to a baby and she lives in that town and she was concerned about her health, obviously the baby's health. Should they move? I mean, is there any, what would you recommend they do? Oh, definitely uh, any pregnant female or young children between zero and three, which are especially sensitive to the neurodevelopmental toxicity of some of these agents should not be there. And especially due to the hand-mouth activity of children who take in 50 milligrams, uh, sometimes up to 100 milligrams of dust per day. Wow. So we, we don't know what's in that dust yet. Uh, we you, don't you, know you, you mentioned, sorry to interrupt, but you mentioned um, the, the symptoms that are being reported from residents are consistent with um, this the toxicity that you're talking about. So you're, you're talking about like residents are reporting like uh, – burning lungs, migraines, rashes developing, those sort of symptoms? Yes. The, the, the fact that there are uh, such a uh, significant uh, piece of the exposed population presenting with respiratory symptoms, uh, that, that, that is a concern. And that, that can be from direct inhalation of uh, the plume itself, or it can also be related to uh, the deposition of particulate matter that has fallen into these homes and onto surfaces. Uh, you know, it's, I, I would not only advise pregnant females or children ages, newborns up to three years of avoiding the area, I would also strongly avoid going in and taking personal items and, you know, basically loading the all these uh, personal items and moving out with them because uh, they are likely to be contaminated. Well, if, if that's the case, then uh, why should anybody stay? Don't, do they not risk uh, permanent respiratory damage? Well, not necessarily respiratory. Let me ex explain it this way. Okay. Uh, there was a tenth of a million gallons of vinyl chloride 
Uh, vinyl chloride is uh, a, a, what we call a chlorine donor. In other words, in chemical reactions, that vinyl chlorine can actually donate chlorine into the chemical reaction. And in fires of this sort with ethyl hexyl acrylate, butyl acrylate, and these other chemicals, aromatic hydrocarbons and polynuclear aromatic hydrocarbons are formed. These uh, PAHs, we call them, uh, fall out in the emission and they accumulate in the dust. The other concern is that dioxins can be formed from the uh, donation of chloride in the presence of these PAHs. And if dioxins or dibenzofurans are formed, those are also extremely persistent in dust and are very powerful class A known human carcinogens. So until this is fully assessed, uh, I, I would strongly advise uh, avoiding the any area where there has been uh, significant dust deposition fallout, I would avoid that. And and so and and, and what like yeah, they they, they, they set like a one mile radius is that big enough? It, it again uh, in a situation like this. Um, back when I worked for the government in the Department of Health, uh, we would have air modelers, and privately I've done a number of disaster uh, similar disasters as this, where we have an air modeling expert who maps out the plume and the concentration throughout that plume. And we don't know what uh, exactly how far this plume has reached. It, mm -hmm. it hasn't been assessed yet. Well, they were warning residents in West Virginia, you know, when you could see the plume, go inside and shut your doors. But it sounds like they should evacuate the whole town and that whole area. I mean, is the government being, you know, just putting people's lives on the, on the line here? Well, the... Let me explain it this way. The, the, the test regarding the deposition of dust, these are highly specialized tests that take several weeks to run. And I suspect that EPA uh, probably has or are conducting such tests. But turnaround time is slow, uh, especially for dioxin, dibenzofurans, polynuclear aromatic hydrocarbons, those PAHs I talked about. Those are all things that are of great concern in uh, a mixture of this sort, but uh, we'll take several weeks for results. And so, so then if you were asked the question that Governor DeWine was asked, uh, would you, if you lived in East Palestine, would you go home? What's your answer? I would at this point. I, I would evacuate at this point. I would not go home, and mm -hmm. uh, I would be extremely cautious with little children who have hand-to-mouth activity, uh, and that could present a significant uh, dose from the surface dust from the fallout and that must be avoided uh, until the testing is done and we we know exactly what we're dealing with all we know at this point is that we have a chemical mixture a brew and a uncontrolled uh, burn this is not a, an injection burn with known stoichiometric amounts of air this is a just basically a black mushroom plume that went up and came back down and where that plume came down and impacted the residential environments is a very serious matter and and uh, you know, I, who, who made i mean so how does the decision making happen here is this the decision making on what to do initially so the decision to do the controlled burn 
Is that uh, is that ultimately an EPA call? Is that state, federal EPA, along with Norfolk Southern, come and local officials coming together? How, how does that process play out? So, who's the shot caller that made that decision? Uh, I have not found any evidence whatsoever that this went under review by pyrolysis experts and toxicologists. Uh, the transportation people. Um, as far as I know, made the decision and Department of Transportation. That's it's their call. Yeah. yeah. Mayor Pete. Ultimately. Uh-huh. Yep. Huh. Interesting. William Sawyer, professional toxicologist with extensive experience in public health and forensic tex- toxicology, as you heard, uh, also specialized expertise in causation analyses. Dr. Sawyer, thanks so much for your insights. Really appreciate it. Very helpful. Okay. Pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's morning answer. Morning answer on AM560. The answer. Open mic. Open mic Friday. Call in now. Open mic Friday. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. It's that time of the week. Open mic Friday, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Grab a line. Uh, we'll get to as many calls as we can. Taking your calls with comments, criticisms, concerns, compliments, general crack pottery. We'll take it all. Um, Want to address this um, additional public health crisis. The average penis length in America has grown in 30 years. And uh, doctors are concerned about this. An overall, any overall change in development is concerning because our reproductive system is one of the most important pieces of human biology, according to Dr. Michael Eisenberg, Stanford, for those of you giggling now, so immature. If we're seeing this fast uh, but change, it means something powerful is happening to our bodies. It's not just, okay. it's not just Mayor Lightfoot, Amy. Uh-huh. Uh, in the uh, study published in the World Journal of Men's Health, uh, Stanford University study analyzed 75 data from 75 studies with more than 55,000 men from 1992 to 2021, 30 year longitudinal study. The focus was the length of an erect penis. Do I have your interest now? Researchers discover that the average penis has grown a staggering 24% over those three decades. Let's keep it up with inflation. Is. It's growing right. You just heard it growing. I know. That's how fast it can happen. What do you, what's a man to do? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse you. I, I turned and coughed. Uh, erectile penal, penal length is getting longer from an average of 4.8 inches to 6 inches, according to Dr. Eisenberg. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Great dinner but, conversation. Well... Apparently, I missed the boat of the last 30. Uh, All right. Um, He uh, goes on to say, though, here's the problem. Why are penises growing? That's what you're thinking. Maybe there's more hormones in the milk that people are drinking. I don't know. I'm just. Well, I mean, if you rub them, they grow. Uh, Chemical chemical exposure from pesticides or or hygiene products could be one of the various factors causing such quick growth. Because chemicals can disrupt the endocrine system. Gosh, I wish I lived in a more polluted area. Wow, round, Roundup, Roundup isn't just for weeds. Now, this is uh, this runs counter to past studies in yeah. this area, which I know you're familiar with. 
that claim pollution was shrinking penises. Oh, okay. Yeah. Also, I wish my parents would have fed me more junk food as a kid because they attribute diet to this as well. Uh, more junk food, more sedentary, uh, more polluted, and your junk takes on a life of its own. <laughs> That's a fair trade-off. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Don't you think? Now, um, just because penises are growing doesn't mean we don't have a lot more work to do. Because American uh, penises, and I'm notice I'm not being specific to men, uh, rank only 59th in the world. That's worse than our math ranking. Um, yeah, yeah. Tough mm -hmm. to be a guy these days. Well, you have to either you have I'm to not transitioning anytime soon. If you got in that 30 year window, if not, then you're going to have yeah. to buy a Corvette. Oh. To make up for what you lack in yeah. the heathen region. Well, I just wanted to, yeah, yeah. Now, yes, sir. Um, you know this. This breaks a couple of different ways. Um, there's a study out of the University of Colorado. Just going through the scholarship on this because this is an important medical issue, obviously. Uh, University of Colorado study uh, claimed that well-endowed men were less likely to face infertility issues. Oh, okay. Um, but. Uh, this is now being called into question by the Stanford study. So uh, anyway, um, this is real math and science. I'll be look. That's what we do here. We we yeah. apply scientific knowledge to public health crises like the male penis. And so I'll, I'll be uh, you know tweeting about this. Uh, so if you want to pour over these studies, as I'm sure, I'm sure some. Some men will want to do. Yeah, no. I just thought you should be apprised. Well, people of, should be apprised. Yes, yeah. uh, large penises. Mayor Life, but I went to her press conference yesterday, mm -hmm. and because we talked about the homeless encampments that are popping up all in every single terminal. Popping up. I see oh, what see, you did there. See now you got me. And I brought with the Daily Mail article showing pictures. You know, this is this is her response. Okay. You ready for this, folks? It shouldn't be surprising, though. Okay. Last night, Tucker Carlson, Fox News, and the Daily Mail featured. The homelessness, the encampments that are growing at O'Hare Airport and all Why the baggage claims, one, two, three, four, no, and five, anywhere from 200 to 300 people a night are sleeping there, even when the weather is not inclement. Uh, pictures like this, people don't know if they're stepping over bodies is or there people a question? sleeping on the floors. Yeah. Oh. Uh, what, what are you doing about it? Well, let's start with consider the source, which oh. is Tucker, Tucker. No, no, I think that's fair. Do you want yeah. to see the pictures? I, I, I've seen it. But let's consider the source, which is starting with Tucker Carlson uh, and Fox News. Um, they're never going to portray our city in a favorable light. The, my understanding is those pictures um, are quite old. But the fact of the matter is we have taken and will continue to take the steps that are necessary uh, to move people out yeah, okay. of the airports. Blah, 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 yeah, blah, but blah, blah. then, you know, yeah, the yeah. follow no, no, no. Move them out then, but they came and grabbed my microphone, so I couldn't talk. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go out to O'Hare. We're going to take new pictures. So that we have updated right. pictures of the homeless at O'Hare. Wonderful. Alderman Lopez, who did a live shot at O'Hare Baggage Claim 3 uh, with Tucker Carlson that night. When he was leaving with the photographer, they ran into Wheelchair Amy. That's her name. And she sits in her urine-soaked wheelchair, and people try to move her. She tries to bite them. So, I mean, I don't know what world Mayor Lightfoot's living in, but she's blaming Fox and Tucker Carlson for the homelessness in our city. At the next press conference, ask her about the penis study. Oh, she, <laughs> she, she thinks about that. She's got a, maybe Alison Arwadi to get the public health director and see if we should talk about diets and pollution. Okay. 
You don't want these penises to get out of control. You know? Three one two six four two five six zero zero. Grab a line. Um, speaking of penises, Bob in Buffalo Grove. Not Bob, but Bob's comment. I'm not, okay. I'm not making fun of Bob. Don't you dare make uh, fun of Bob. All right, Bob. Good morning, uh, Amy and Dan. Good topic that you started off with. Oh, but, uh, another good week of yeah. um, Thank you. Uh, topical information. Uh, you talked about the balloon, Palestine, Biden, the mayor's race, O'Hare Airport. But let me go back to yesterday when you and the passing of Raquel. Mm-hmm. One classy sexist assist, assist one classy sex symbol. Yeah. Yes, yes. You failed to mention that she uh, went to Vietnam uh, with uh, Bob Hope. I mean, she was um, really um, uh, a nice um, eye candy for people. Uh, and um, I wish um, <laughs> I wish be a little more I misogynist. Wish, wow, Bob at Buffalo Grove. She was also a very talented singer. She performed on Broadway, and yeah. she was. She's yeah. not a bimbo. No. But here's my question. Here's my question. I chatted with a few guys on this. Yeah. She never was really given a chance to act in a movie, in a dramatic or comedic role. So what movie would you like to see her actually star in and not just be a supporting uh, pretty uh, pretty face? I can think of a few. Uh, maybe the movie would have been give totally us one. different. Give us one and I'll give you one. Uh, fatal attraction. Oh, mm, all right. No, it's not bad. All right, thanks for the call, Bob. What about you, Dan? Uh, the movie that I would like uh, all good-looking actresses Lovely. to star in. What, Dinner with Andre. No, just an endless, endless uh, remake of Nine and a Half Weeks. Oh, oh. Yeah. Okay. How's that? That's good. Didn't see that coming, did you? Not at all. Jennifer Bloomingdale. Hi, good morning. I can't add literally to any of your conversation on the earlier topic. Um, I'm going about the situation in Ohio. It reminds me of what occurred back in 1953, Love Canal up by Niagara, New York. Yeah. yeah. Pollutants were put in the land. They built houses and schools on the land, and it took them years and years in court to get anything out of it. The land is vacant. It had to be purchased up. I don't think those people got anything other than disease. In the water and the land. Thanks for the call, Jennifer. Love Canal is a good example of a of a federal government uh, failure. So uh, more recently, I was thinking about this too. Other comparisons. How about um, the, uh, um, uh, the 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 Gold King Mine in Colorado? Oh. Gold King Mine, where the EPA uh caused one more than a billion dollars worth of economic damages from a main wise main excuse me mine waste spill that they triggered and it turned the rivers yellow and it uh polluted the land of farmers and other private owners there were 73 claims filed uh, by uh farmers who lost crops and other interests Against EPA, $1.2 billion was the estimated damage, and the EPA walked away from that without uh, compensating anyone because uh, the uh, uh, the EPA, it was concluded by the Justice Department, is barred from paying claims because of sovereign immunity. So, I mean, right. So Gold, Gold King Mine in Colorado, Love Canal, there are many other uh, such examples back in the heady days of the Superfund era at EPA. But now the other thing that's important to point out as we 
discussed with our toxicologist uh, at the uh, top of the hour is this was a Department of Transportation call. Remember that. So, right. so not, the EPA is implicated in, in the aftermath. The Department of Tra- Transportation is implicated both in terms of the derailment as well as in terms of the decision to do that control burn that we were discussing. I feel so bad for those residents because some of them, you know, they have their life savings invested in their house and they just they have nowhere to go and they don't have money to go anywhere. Well, and this is where FEMA has to come in because this is a natural disaster, a combination of natural and perhaps man-made, and, um, you know, provide some assistance, and that's what should happen. Steve in Northwest Indiana. Wheelchair Amy, huh? Yeah. Wow. And her urine-soaked wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah, vivid. You can see her in Terminal 3. She won't leave. But nobody can say no to anybody anymore. That word sort of is like gone. an Amy I know. Anyways, <clears throat> back when I was in Nam, no, no, that's a different story. Uh, Raquel Welch, I did have a poster, and my deep dive is Heather Langenkamp. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. There you go. She was in the first one, and I think the last of the originals. So you can see her grow up from a young girl to a mature woman in that span. And she was in uh, ZZ Top's sleeping bag video. Very good. Nice poll. Thanks for the call, Steve. Mm. Should I Google her? Uh, Yeah, you'll you'll recognize her when you see her. You'll recognize her. She was in enough movies. Heather Langenkamp? Langenkamp. Whatever. Uh, Mike in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Hey, Dan and Amy, I haven't talked to you for a while, but all this talk about well-endowed males, penises, and love canals, yeah. I'm thinking about my new band playing in Milwaukee this weekend. It's Mike and the Pregnant Males. Oh. We are going to be opened. You know who's opening for us? Yes. Yes, you're right. The balloons. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the call, we Mike. we got to get somebody. We're going to work that. We have to get somebody from the Northern Illinois Bottle Camp Balloon Brigade on, on Monday. Yeah. See what's really going on. Get in the minds. What it, what their what their plans what their designs for global domination are, <laughs> and how they were disrupted by the big guy. I, it's well, just you can't make this stuff up. Uh, I mean, you really well, Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. Their balloon was taken down over Alaska, and they mm-hmm. want their balloon back. It was it cost twelve dollars. Well, they're not getting it back. No, again, never. I, I've suggested maybe to avoid war. Mm-hmm. With the, you know, like a, a Red Dawn sort of situation in Illinois with the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. Maybe if we, I mean, we could do like a GoFundMe and send an, um, an I'm sorry Mylar balloon. Oh, oh. Kind of a sorry, not sorry, just to avoid any conflict. Oh, my. Hmm. Todd and Gurney. Hey, I uh, got a good name for a movie for Raquel Welch. Well, Love Canal wouldn't be bad either, but uh, mm. Weekend at Raquel's. Oh, now. too soon. Oh! Too soon. Wow. Thanks, Will. Uh, uh. Ralph Rantoul. Hey, Dan and Amy, I want to personally thank you for that uh, toxicology guy that you had on. It's been a long time since I've heard stoichiometric mixture, polynuclear aromatic hydrocarbons, and pyrolysis products used Properly and in a sentence, it brought me all the way back to my undergrad chemical engineering days and just brought joy to my heart that I'm not there anymore. I thought pyrolysis products were like to take hair off your back. Well, maybe they do that as well. I don't know. But, yeah, it was good. It was an education. I 
I think that taking hair off your backs with a torch, you got to talk to Hillary about that. <laughs> wow. Thanks for the call. Uh, yeah, we everybody got to two uh, chemistry credit hours by listening to that uh, toxicologist at the top of the hour. Uh, Bill and Waukegan. Yeah, hey, I just wanted to thank you for taking my call. And I just wanted to ask, uh, Dan, you and Amy, whether or not you've ever seen uh, the old crotchety or curmudgeon Walter, uh, the puppet from Jeff Dunham, and President Biden ever in the same room, because I think they're both the same. Thanks they do have sort of the same. Great weekend. Yeah, thanks for the call. But they do sort of have that uh, same squint, right? Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, I, have I, you ever I seen Beto, Beto and uh, Arnie Duncan in the same room? Yeah, same guy. Same guy. That's pretty good, too. Joe in Cedar City, Utah. Morning, Dan. Morning, Amy, a little goddess. I always listen to the podcast, but you guys got a subject that was touching, and that was your favorite posters. Mm -hmm. And when I was in radio for 11 years, I was in love with Linda Ronstadt and Emmylou Harris. Oh. One okay. thing to keep in mind about both of them being amazingly talented, if you want to take a look at a gal that has aged wonderfully, take a look at Emmy Lou Harris. I Always great that. talking to you guys and yeah. listening. Emmy Lou Harris? Thanks for the call, John. I, yeah, I, Emily, by the way, Emily I don't Harris think... Harris is very, very attractive. Like yeah. This Heather person? No. Not. Well, I, I don't think she's poster material, but, you know, hey, to, to each his own. You know, yeah. I mean... See if she's aged well. Let's see if Nikki not everybody, Haley's aged well. You, you, not every, how many women have a poster of David Gergen on their wall like you did? <laughs> I just you know, got to get it signed. A bit of a glass house. He's, oh, speaking of, uh, speaking of, I, I, I have this idea. I need to get this in. Yeah. You have this problem of your your uh, Peyton is playing oh. club volleyball, Georgia Tech versus Georgia this weekend. Eli is playing in a, a basketball playoff game uh, here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Here's a solution. Well, I've got two comments here. One is just have Peyton and all of his teammates wear GoPros and body cams okay. so you can watch it <laughs> while you're in the stands watching Eli play basketball. Uh-huh. All right. Okay, that's one idea. What's that's one idea. idea? Uh, the other idea, I heard you, uh, you've you had some problems or you think um, the Allman Brothers team that Eli plays on is going to have some problems with a one three one trap yeah, that, Ma- that Mather apparently yeah, runs. That's third. Defensive so, zone play. So, so, I mean, so have Russell be in the center, free throw line. I mean, you've got to get the ball to the center. And then tell tell Russell, well, excuse me, Eli, tell him to watch uh, Zach Eady okay. from, uh, uh, from Purdue and watch him in the post when he gets double teamed. So he just needs to get to the free throw line or even to the, the top, top of the, of the key, key. Right. right? And, and get, up. Get, get, get the ball in the middle and then he can – you know, kick it to a wing. He can drive to the basket. If they jump out on the wing, then you back cut and for layups. You just got to get the ball to the middle. And so have have uh, Eli in the middle there because the whole point of staying and rooting him on is a college scholarship. And he could have a triple-double if they break that uh, zone okay. trap with, uh, with Eli at the top of the key. All right. All right? Okay. No, I won't. And I'll pass that on to Coach White. All right, just watch, watch, uh, you know the best, uh, the the player of the year in college basketball from Purdue. Watch okay. Zach, and you'll you'll get the gist of it. All right, I had to get that off my chest. Thank you.
Um, that'll be effective because um, I'm so nervous. One, you know, if you lose, you're out. Losing is not an option. You're staying no, home you now. Can't. You really put you the can't. pressure on them. Oh, I know. Kevin, Austin, Texas. Hey, I love the interview with the guy talking about what happened in uh, Virginia and how uh, I can't remember Yunkin won. Is there a conservative who would be willing to fund a proper and thorough canvassing in DuPage County to identify, uh, obviously GOP voters, but also, you know, dis- or unsatisfied Democrats and liberals, so we could actually identify these voters and then have the data ready so when election comes to get these people out to the poll. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, it's just a, a conversation I've been a part of actually, but you know, the interest in Illinois, even from the 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 uh, deepest of diehards, is waning very quickly because of the fecklessness of the Republican Party and uh, and uh, so many Republican voters, Trump voters, and others who just have given up. So, I don't know. Maybe a long cold winter yet for Illinois and Republicanism. Chuck and Delavan, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. A couple of years ago, they uh, filmed a, a movie in Woodstock. It was called Groundhog Day, and Bill Murray did the same thing over and over again. So I jumped the gun last week. So this is to all your punk rock listeners. Uh, there's going to be a big slam dance tomorrow night with Rhetoric Vendetta at Magpie singing Dark Passenger, Light the Fuse, Everything is Nothing, and You're Dead to Me. And uh, good news for you, I'm, I'm going into a new business. I'm, I'm building a guillotine. And it's going to be like oh, a man. rental thing. You can rent it because uh, you, you really don't need a guillotine right now. But if you were to need a guillotine, it's good to have one sitting around. Yeah, you, you never know when you're going to need a guillotine. Yeah, all right. That's thanks right. for the, thanks for the call, Chuck. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's oh, Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.